are starting uh, a, a new series, a, four, a short series, a four-week series. Uh, Andrew said before, uh, that's our Easter series, looking at the person of Jesus and four really important things, aspects of who he is, uh, that happened at Easter through his death and his resurrection. And really what we're getting down to is this idea that Jesus is the answer. He is the answer. He's relevant to our lives in, in, in our day-to-day lives and things that we do, but also in who we are, in our identity, in, in, in emotionally, physically, mentally. He is the answer for everything that ails us, as it were. And so that's why we've called this series Only Jesus, because He alone is the answer. We've actually got a special song that we're going to end with that we're going to sing over the next couple of weeks called Jesus Only. It's a hymn that's written by A.B. Simpson, and we've done a little rearrangement of it. It's kind of a fun song, and we're looking forward to singing it with you. But we're going to look through the verses of that song, some of the words from that song, from that hymn. They're going to take us through who Jesus is. And this week, we want to look at part of the first verse that says this. It says, Jesus only is our Savior. All our guilt he bore away. He, our righteousness forever, all our strength from day to day. And so Renska read the scriptures for us that relate to that verse, or rather the verse relates to these scriptures from Romans chapter 3 and verses 21 through 26. We're going to look at three ideas around the idea of Jesus as our Savior. We're going to look at what we're saved, what we're saved by. We're going to look at what we're saved from and what we're saved for. Three things, what we're saved by, what we're saved from, and what we're saved for. And so Paul writes to the Roman, the, the church in Rome, in this book of Romans, and he lays out in detail how salvation works. How salvation works. And so the first line of that song, Jesus only, that we're going to look at, says, Jesus only is our Savior. What, or rather, who we're saved by. And Paul says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 21, he says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And so the first thing to know about what we're saved by is what we're not saved by. As Paul says in this passage, we're not saved by obedience to the law. We're not saved by obedience to the law. Actually, he says in the previous verse, in verse 20, that, that, that for by works of the law, no human will, being will be justified in God's sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. The law can't save us. Obedience to conformity to God's law, as it's revealed in Scripture, can't save us. In fact, the only thing that it can do is it brings knowledge of sin, which is a good and an important thing. We need to know that we are sinners in need of a Savior but it can't save us. In other words, us doing good things, doing the good things that God calls us to do through his law, that can't save us because we can never actually live up to that. 
And in a more broad way, every human society, every human civilization, every religion lays down laws and norms that we ultimately fail to live up to. That's what Paul says back in Romans chapter 2 and verses 12 and 14. He says that the Jews have received the law clearly from God, but the Gentiles also make their own laws and norms, and they fail to live up to those as well. And so they become a law unto themselves, as it were, proving that they too are sinners in need of a Savior. Conformity to the law is not the thing that we are saved by. We are saved by, Paul says in verse 20 through 22, through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what saves us. Jesus only is our Savior, is what we're going to sing in a little bit. Peter says it this way in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 in one of his sermons in the book of Acts. He says that there is salvation in no one Else, for there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Jesus is the only way to be saved. Now, if that's not a popular message in our society, in our culture these days, a message of exclusivity. Jesus only is our Savior. But but I want to make a really careful distinction, a very important distinction here, that Jesus is exclusive, but he's not excluding. He's exclusive, but he's not excluding. Paul says it this way in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10, verse 10. He says that Jesus is the Savior of all people, and especially those who believe. He's exclusive. He's the only one, but he's not excluding. Anyone can come to him. And the Apostle John also says it this way in his first epistle, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2. He says, Jesus is the propitiation. We're going to talk about that word later. He's the propitiation for our sins, but not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Exclusive, but not excluding. Why is that good news? Because the way that it's viewed in our culture and the way that we sometimes we're tempted to look at it as well, that's not right that Jesus is the only way. What about all those other religions? But friends, this is very good news. And there's two reasons for that. The first is that if every religion is true, every faith belief system is true, Well, they all contradict each other at deep foundational fundamental levels. They can't can't all be true because they outright contradict each other. And if God invented all of those religions, well, he's created a whole lot of human chaos and strife through that. That's not the kind of God I want to serve. It's not a very good God. Because he set us at odds with one another. But the scriptures say that that's not the case, that there is only way and one way to come to God, to know him, and that's through Jesus. The second reason that that's good news is that actually every other religion and belief system in the world is based on us, human beings, achieving merit of some kind in order to earn God's favor, in order to break the cycle of karma. And so as a result, because it's based on what we as human beings can achieve, that always ends up excluding someone. 
individuals, whole classes, whole ethnicities. It always ends up excluding someone. Evolution ultimately leads to the belief that equality is a load of baloney. Ultimately. And therefore, the strong end up prevailing over the weak. The weak are excluded. That's what the belief system of evolution does. It excludes the weak, ultimately. Classical religions have to live up to whatever demands are made in order to be righteous, to earn God's favor, to break the cycle of karma. But actually, if you look at history, even their founders, their respected teachers, aren't able to live up to those demands. Even they are not able to do it. If you look at the history of Mahatma Gandhi, he took a vow of chastity. It was incredibly important for his salvation in his, in his belief system. Took a vow of chastity. But then he invented all of these little rules around it that meant that actually he could do whatever he wanted. And he did. He did. He wasn't able to live up to his own vow of chastity. Every religion, every religion is based on us achieving something to earn our way to salvation. But Christianity is different. It is unique. And that's good news. Because that means, because what we believe is not based on anything we can do, but it's based on faith in what Jesus did. He is our righteousness. He lived the perfect life and we trust in what he did. And as a result, Christianity doesn't exclude anyone. It doesn't exclude anyone either in theory or in practice. Anyone can come to Jesus, regardless of what they've done in the past. There's no sin too bad, too evil, too heinous. On the basis of ethnicity, on the basis of social class, nothing. Anyone and everyone can come to Jesus. And that, my friends, is good news. We're saved by Jesus only. Paul also continues to tell us about what we're saved from. And that's the second line of the song that we'll sing later. It says, Jesus only is our Savior, all our guilt he bore away. Paul says it like this in verse 23. He says, For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. We're saved from sin, is what Paul says in verse 23. All have sinned. What that means is that all of us, from Adam and Eve, the first human beings, all the way through the entire human race, every ethnicity, every, you know, every time and every place, we've all sinned, which means ultimately we failed to trust and believe what God has said and to order our lives accordingly. There are three faces of sin. Guilt, shame, and fear. Sin has three faces. The first is this idea of guilt. It's that, and we see this really clearly in Adam and Eve, but in our own lives as well. God has a standard. He said, here's the way I want you to do things. And we said, 
No, we're going to do things differently. We chose to disobey because we think we know better. And so we broke his law, as it were. That's guilt, and so we're guilty. But we also chose not to honor God as God, to give him his due place according to who he is. He's the creator. He's eternal. He's holy. He's good. And we chose not to honor him in that way. That's what Romans chapter 1 verse 21 says, that we chose, we knew that he was God, but we chose not to honor him as God. And so we didn't give him his due place. And we brought shame upon his name and upon ourselves as well. We're guilty and we're shamed, but we're also afraid. We're afraid that he's holding back from us, that he doesn't want our best, that he's perhaps lied to us as well. That's what Adam and Eve were afraid of, that he was holding back something better. They believed the serpent's lie. And so out of our fear, we chose to procure power for ourselves on our own terms, apart from God. And the result of that is that we became enemies of God, part of the kingdom of darkness, slaves to sin. Three faces to fear and and, and consequences that come with that sin as well. Three faces to sin and consequences that come with it as well. Well, the first is found in Romans chapter 1 and verse 18. And Paul says that God's wrath has been revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. In our sin, we become objects of his wrath. Don't get me wrong. God loves the people that he has created. He loves us deeply, but we are entangled with sin and he hates sin. I cut down a tree in my backyard this weekend. And this tree was, I'm sure it was a lovely tree at one time, but it had become so wrapped up and tangled in vines. The vines were thicker than the branches at other point. You couldn't even see the trunk because the vines were completely wrapped around it. It was entombed in this vine. And that's the picture of us and sin. We are all tangled up with sin. And sin has one destiny. It's going to die. In fact, it already has. Jesus has dealt with it. And we're all entangled with sin. And unless Jesus, unless God does something, we're going to die apart from him in that state. Because he hates sin, but he loves us. And the two are tangled together first consequence of uh, of sin is that we are objects of his wrath. The second consequence of sin is that we inherit, we get the the just reward of sin. Romans 6.23 says that the, the, the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Sin costs us our lives. It costs us our physical lives, and it also costs us our spiritual lives. Death is separation of the soul from the body, but it's also a separation of us from God. The wages of sin is death. Friends, this isn't a nice thing to talk about. I don't particularly enjoy 
preaching about this, but we need to understand this. We need to understand the depth of what we've been saved from so that we can fully understand who Jesus is and what he did, what he gave for us. It's really important. And so if we come back to that idea of shame, fear, and guilt, we've got three pictures of death as well. Guilt. We broke the law. And so we were condemned to the just punishment and the just reward of breaking the law is death. That's what Romans 6 said we just read. Fear. We became enemies of God, cast out from his presence, and actually we are now loyal to, we chose loyalty to the kingdom of darkness instead of the kingdom of light, where his enemies were at war with him. That's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. And more than that, we're not only loyal to the kingdom of darkness, we're slaves to it. We're slaves to sin. And ultimately, in a war, we are a casualty of the war. Shame. We brought shame on God's name, and as a result, we're cast out from the life-giving presence. We are naked in the wilderness with no protection, no food, and ultimately, apart from his life-giving presence, we die die. Apart from Jesus, our destiny is death. Physical death, spiritual death. And we try to deal with our guilt, our shame, our fear, our sin on our own, but ultimately nothing can alleviate that deep-seated, those, th- that sense of guilt, that sense of shame, that sense of fear. Nothing can alleviate that except for Christ alone. And he did. He did something to save us from it. How did he do it? Look back with me again at verses 20, 24 and 25. We are justified by God's grace, as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received in faith. There's two pictures of what Jesus did there, redemption and propitiation. Redemption is this picture of a market, a slave market, where we are enslaved to sin. And Jesus came in and he bought the price, he paid the price in order to buy us back from it, from sin, to free us from its clutches. He paid the price. That's what redeeming means. He paid the price to buy us out of slavery. What was the purchase price? The purchase price. Paul says that it was, Jesus was offered forward as a propitiation by his blood. You see, friends, the price to purchase us back from sin was blood, was death. Someone had to die. Someone had to die. And God and the Father and Jesus the Son organized it so that Jesus could die in our place. By his blood, we have been free. And we're going to talk about why it's really important that Jesus died for us more in a second. But by his blood, we have been freed. He substituted 
himself for us to pay the death penalty, to take the honor killing on our behalf, to take the curse of sin for us. He substituted himself. And more than that, he didn't just put himself in our place. First, sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 says that he literally became sin. He became every evil thing that you've done, every shameful secret in your past, everything you've done when no one's looking and you think you get away from it, everything, he became that on the cross. And God nailed him there And he willingly paid the price for you and for me. He willingly paid the price. The second picture is this picture of propitiation. You see, remember, God loves his creatures, but he hates sin. He's angry at sin. And that's a good thing. We're going to look at that in a second. He hates sin. And so Jesus stepped in to propitiate God's wrath against sin. That's what propitiate means. It means to offer a sacrifice in order to to, to satisfy his wrath. That sin has been properly dealt with. Jesus propitiated. He died a death that should have been ours. And he paid the penalty for it. And in so doing, he erased our sin. He expiated it. That's what that word means. He erased our sin. That's what justified means. It says we are justified by God's grace as a gift. Justified means that our slate is wiped clean. You got a fresh start. You can walk out of of court because the case has been thrown out because there's no more case. The price has been paid. You've got nothing. There's no accusations against you anymore been justified. That's what we sang earlier in that song, Rock of Ages. You were cleft for me. You were cleft for me in my place. And so the cross ultimately deals with those three faces of sin, shame, fear, and guilt. Romans chapter 6 and verse 6 says that the cross frees us from the power of sin. And so we don't need to be afraid anymore. The cross in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14 says that the cross cancels the legal demands of sin. And so we're not guilty anymore. And in 1 John, sorry, Hebrews chapter 13 and verses 12 and 13, the the author of Hebrews says that the, the cross cleanses us from sin's shame and disgrace that Jesus bore for us. And so we no longer have shame. We're no longer guilty of bringing shame upon the name of God. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7 says it globally like this. He says, if we walk in the light as Jesus is in the light, his blood cleanses us from all sin. Friend, if you're out there this morning and you're saying, Jesus could never forgive this. You don't know what I've done. Friend, Jesus did know He does know what you've done, and he died while you were still in it for you. He does know. Finally, what we're saved for. I'm a little long here. 
what we're saved for. That third line of the song, Jesus, our righteousness forever, our strength from day to day. We've been saved for righteousness, for just, we've been justified. And so we've been saved for righteousness. We're no longer guilty. We're no longer condemned. We're no longer condemned, but we are beneficiaries of his grace. Grace is not just not receiving the just penalty that we deserve, but also receiving good things in addition, which we don't deserve. We've been saved for righteousness. And you'll notice that verse in verse 26, it says this. This is really important, friends. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus died because God loves loves his creatures, but hates sin. And so he wanted to be just in dealing with sin and, and to deal with evil and wickedness, but he also wanted to be the one who justifies the sinner. Friends, if you if I were to ask you, to ask anyone in the street, what kind of God do you want? They're going to say, we want a God who's good, who's loving, who knows us, and one who's also going to deal with evil. And that's what Paul is saying here in verse 26. He is both just and he justifies the wicked. He makes them righteous. He saves them. That's good news because the God of the Bible is actually the God that we want and that we need. Because he saves us and he deals with evil. Through Jesus only. Through Jesus only. We're saved for righteousness. We're saved, says Paul in chapter 5 and verse 1, for peace. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're no longer at war. We're no longer his enemies. We're no longer slaves of sin. But we have peace with with him. We've been saved for righteousness, for peace, and finally for adoption. He deals with our shame. Romans chapter 8 and verse 15 says, For if you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We are no longer cast out from his presence because of our shame we are reconciled to him as sons and daughters, honored in his household. As we close this morning, if you're not, if you're listening and you're not a follower of Jesus, can I encourage you to keep listening into, to, listening into what he's saying, leaning in to him. He wants to save you. And at the end of the day, if you've got deep-seated, deep-rooted feelings of shame, of fear, of guilt, he can deal with those. He can deal with them. Christian, Jesus saves us from all of those things. If you professed faith, if you're following him now, day in, day out, he saves you from those things, but sometimes we keep holding on to them. We keep holding on to the shame and the fear and the guilt because we shape our identity with it. We try, and we're still trying to, to live apart from him. We don't want to completely surrender. If you seek power through control, through authority, 
perhaps in the workplace, perhaps at home, in your personal relationships. That's fear. Fear seeks power. If you, if you seek status, to elevate your status, to bring honor on yourself through achievement, through material possessions, through, through social status, you see this online, internet culture, social, social media is a shame culture. Particularly for young people. If you're a young person and you've been shamed, you've been cast out from a friend group on social media, Jesus can deal with that. Seeking status on our own is shame. Do you seek to be good enough through doing good things, through activism, through involvement even in your church, through social work? They're not bad things, but at the end of the day, if those things are motivated by guilt, I've done something wrong and so I have to make up for it. I've been given too much. I have to, I feel guilty because I've been given so much. Those things are motivated by guilt, not what Jesus has done for you. And Jesus is all of our strength. We operate out of our own strength, seeking honor and power and righteousness. That's not Jesus working in us. Because Jesus only is our Savior, and he wants to save all of you. Heart, soul, mind, strength every area of your life, the emotions, everything, if you'll let him. Can I urge you to ask him to reveal where there's shame in operation in your life, where you're, 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 you're working, out, you're working out of a motivation of guilt, where there's fear active in your life. Ask him to reveal those things to you this week so that you can surrender to him. And finally, this Jesus as our Savior is not only about our own sin, but it's about the world. And he is the Savior of the whole world. And so as a church, we at City Church are missions-minded. We're missions-minded because we want to see the whole world come to, to know Jesus personally as their Savior. And so who is that person who desperately needs to hear the message of Jesus only. You can trust him. He's worth it. Who's that person in your life? Is it a colleague? Is it, is it a child? A family member? A parent? A neighbor? Who's that person who needs to hear the message of Jesus only? Keep praying for them. Keep seeking opportunities to speak to them about Jesus. We're going to close with that song that I mentioned, Jesus only is our Savior. All our guilt he bore away. He is our righteousness forever. We trust in what he's done. He is our strength, not just in the past, not just in his work on the cross, but day to day.